Well, welcome back to the glue, guys. This is Mike here. Say hello, Brian. Hello. Check us out on Twitter at BKGlueGuys, NetsDaily.com, Almighty Baller, and Brian. The Nets are back, baby. Oh, my gosh. Are you in your car doing this right now? You must seem like an insane person. Uh, I'm in my car doing this in front of a church uh, with a cop right behind me, so I'm sure people are are You are being clocked by by the police, Um, I can tell. If if there's an arrest in Midtown, it is me. Brian, the Nets are back. How exciting is this? I've been watching a lot of games, Mike. I've been (laughs) writing down in my little notebook all kinds of different thoughts and feelings. Um, you know, it's been a, it feels like it's been an eventful week. I mean, we've had, we, we last spoke, there was then the Pelicans game, which was a disaster of epic proportions, which almost, you can't even remember anymore, but it was such a disappointment. I watched that game with my, with my wife who cares 0% about basketball. And even she was upset about the outcome of that game. It affected everybody in the room. It's it's going to be one of the more gutting losses of the year. There's no, I mean, that was, you know, whatever they were up by seven points or whatever it was within the final few minutes. The, I can't even go this far back. I mean, I blo- I blocked it out of my memory. Like I have PTSD from it. Like I can't go, I can't go back. But everyone, I think, understands what was. I mean, we could talk about the like circumstances or whatever, or like or like what we learned. But but I don't even remember like exactly how. I just remember everything. Just it was like there was Agent Orange everywhere. I was in the chopper, and I just like I now I you know now I have PTSD from it. Like, and I was like, "Nom, that's a nom story." <laughs> well, it's it's like what's been running in my head is like it's like a Clockwork Orange like GIF of the slow motion pass from D'Angelo Russell to Karis LeVert. D'Angelo Russell looking at the hoop, not at Karis LeVert. As Karis LeVert moves his position off the three-point line over closer to D'Angelo Russell, as D'Angelo Russell throws the ball away, to away from Karis LeVert, and D'Angelo's reaction, I'm not even going to blame it. You know, people are angry with him. I'm not even going to blame it to be like, oh, because like D'Angelo gave sort of the slump shoulders look, as if Dude. like it was Karis LeVert's fault. Dude, we cannot start the show with this. We had a big win last night. This is yes. like just depressing. But. <laughs> What we will get to is point guard rankings, Brian. It's so exciting. All right, big win last night. Um, So exciting, actually. Phenomenal game. A desperate team, the Nets, who, you know, we had gone through all these losses against the Knicks, a team that they – I mean, frankly, the Nets have been talking a lot of S this year, and I love S talking. It's one of my favorite things. But uh, it was not appropriate uh, against the Knicks, and they lost to the Knicks in a disgusting, gross fashion. But then – this Pistons game, a decent Pistons team, fully healthy, ready to roll, and the Nets pull it out, Brian. So excited. Yeah, so a lot of takeaways. Lots lots to talk about. There's lots going on. Um, I mean, I, I don't want to – I'm not going to jump into all the emails quite yet, but I want to jump into one that I, I feel like is percolating in the, the Nets Twitter sphere and just the Nets fan base in general, um, if I can. And I think it'll, like – Launch us into some interesting topics, okay? Absolutely. So this is from Cherboy GNYR. You you deserve a John Cena drop, and you're not going to get one, unfortunately, but you know that I want that for you, um, <laughs> GNYR. So it uh, says, the Brooklyn Nets were talking about taking a next step this season. Um, this is what you are discussing if this is what you're discussing, then you can't lose to the Knicks. You can't lose to teams that you are better than. The Warriors had the same three games and four nights window and one, yet the quote-unquote young Nets get quote-unquote tired 
when are we holding this organization accountable? It's not year one, it's not year two, it's year three this year of this rebuild, and you decide to upgrade the roster and make a run at it. Wins is what matters, not a practice facility, not this or that. It's wins! Exclamation point, exclamation point, blah, 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 blah. Um, so thank you, GNYR. Um, keep it, keep up the emailing. Love to hear from you. Um, so this is, and, and when you uh, posted like your who's to blame for the Pelicans loss or whatever, uh, not listed on that was Kenny Atkinson, and a bunch of people, uh, you know, wrote that in after the fact. Hang on, I'm going to close my window really quick. Um, yeah. But, uh, which I found really interesting, which I found really interesting. So people are beginning to um, have a lot of opinions about about Kenny Atkinson. Hang on, I got to close this window. There's like a there's like a field trip or something. Walking back. <laughs> it's like, no, no, that's what. It, it, so I was thinking when I posted that poll, if you didn't see it at BK Glue guys, it was who to there's blame for the Pelicans the, uh, lost. It was oh. D'Angelo Russell, Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, and then the world, or who are you most mad at? And I was thinking about saying, I was thinking about putting Atkinson in there. I didn't just because. I don't know. I just, I, it's not like I didn't, I'm not absolving Atkinson of what happened. It, to me, it was so glaringly like on the court, these guys screwed up. Uh, yeah, it wasn't coached properly, but it also on the court was like completely botched. Um, so I want to get some player yeah. action. But yeah, people were feeling the Atkinson burn a little bit. People, people so are not happy. I, I honestly like. Well, there's two things with this. First of all, what is holding this administration or whatever organization accountable look like in your mind at this point? Like, what is what does that mean, holding them accountable? Like, firing Kenny Atkinson because that seems super premature and, and not warranted, right? He's he's. I mean, we have to put all this into the context, right? Look at our assets. Look at what our players are. Look at where they came from. Look at who they are now. Um, to suggest that, like, what, I mean, if if that's not what holding people accountable is. You tell me, because I don't know, right? Well, I mean, what's what, the other version of that? To me, like, what the holding people accountable step down is, is just actually being critical of Atkinson, Marks, and then some of the young players. Because what's happened is, in the wake of the Billy King trade, um, there's almost been a, uh, you know, we're not, we cannot, we cannot, we have, we don't have the ability, we don't have the license to criticize the Nets because they were put in such a disadvantage. You know, they were put, it's like, you yeah. know, this is like a bad analogy, no. but it, but it'd be like you rescued a dog from a hurricane in, you know, a dog kennel and you can't blame the dog for any of the bad, you know, actions that they may take when they've been taken into a new home. It's like the Nets were so damaged. The Nets were such a damaged franchise that you can't you could not have criticized them. Like there's nothing Marks really could have done that he could criticize. I mean, he handled everything pretty well. But now I I mean this yeah, is, I, I, the license I, is criticizing them. I think that's where we're allowed to go. Okay, I guess I guess my point is like I think I think that like wh- okay so okay now we're placing blame on him and then what you know what what is like the next like what is the well, effect of placing blame on somebody um, I, like so I, I there's a lot to this for me like I, I just don't think that um, I mean obviously I think that that's premature like I, I think you can hear by the tone of my voice that I think that that's premature but especially like just in looking at those four games or these like last few games um, you can see that there's like a pretty glaring hole in our personnel which is like a person who's able to deal with Andre Drummond Anthony Davis or Ennis Cantor Ennis Cantor gets 20-20 it's like everyone just you know rolls out of bed and drops 20 and 20 on us um, at that position. And everyone's like on, on the Nets like comments boards being like, um, you know, who, like get somebody to guard this person. And, and who is it? It's going to be Jared Allen or Ed Davis. There's nobody else. It's a huge disadvantage. Well, so, and yeah. like that's a, 
there's like criticism that we can level, and again, the Nets won last night, and we will talk about that. But there is criticism that we are allowed to level against certain players, like D'Angelo Russell. You can criticize, okay? And I don't agree with like the D'Lo needs to go, D'Lo needs to be benched, just because like really the point of this season is to see what D'Angelo Russell may become, and you can't bench him. You know, what are we eight games into the season? But like, where's the criticism? Are we like allowed to be critical of Jared Allen? Like, I think we, the media hype around him, and we contributed to this somewhat, was that, like, he's the next Clint Capella, and he's super talented, which is obvious, still very obvious, but he is 20 years old, right? Um, And, like, he is the guy, he should be the guy who can, like, defend Enos Cantor, Andre Drummond, Blake Gr- like, he, can, he should be able to guard big post players, but he isn't yet, and... I don't, it's like we're in this weird state with him where, like, we're developing in him, but he is, like, so, he's too good to just be a developmental piece. He's a starter. He's a crucial starter, to be honest, but he isn't good enough to defend the Enos Cantors, that sort of just, like, classic dinosaur post player. Um, he's the guy. He's the guy. He's He's a starter in the NBA, a valued starter. His value as a, like, a, like a decent center is pretty high. So if you're a decent center who's also known for defense, you should be able to guard these guys. He can't yet because he's still so young. So it's it's just like the Nets are in a crappy position. It's like I don't know. I, the idea that you're going to have a 20-year-old super skinny Jared Allen. I mean, DeAndre Drummond looked like Godzilla out there. Like he, there was like no stopping him at all. <laughs> he was doing he was everywhere. Um and like the idea that you're like, you know, oh Jared Allen just like react faster to those like <laughs> this is like no that's not there's nothing so so there's like a, it's a twofold argument right there's like there's a bit of the personnel like stuff that's still very much you know this goes back to my to my generational wealth comment where we're like i think we're rushing to hold people accountable but we've started at such an insane disadvantage such an insane disadvantage that like yes while our assets are beginning to have value they're beginning to look like you know we have some good players they're still way behind the curve and we still have a lot of a lot of like you know big positions to fill out. I mean, having just a uh, a like a backup like the, the Zaza Pachulia position, basically that, Ugh, that would be a great person to have to no, just stick on under them. No. no, I mean a person. I know, a, I know. Yeah, a I utility know. big that sucks that you can you know get six fouls out of on on Andre Drummond. And Ed Davis is is too good for that. like he is too good for that, and he's actually yes, too valuable exactly. to to be like to be that role. And like Fareed isn't controlled enough to be that. He isn't either big enough either. He's not just, like, a big lumbering doofus. Um, but, you know, so, like, and, like, I'll, I'll spin this forward into what happened what we saw in the Pistons game. What bothered me most about the Knicks game was that um, the Nets, you could tell by the Nets players, at least at before that Knicks game, is that they, in their own heads, had thought that uh, we're better than the basement, okay? And the Knicks are in the basement, and if we're better than the basement, we don't have to give 100% effort to beat a basement-dwelling team. But maybe the Nets should realize that they are still in the basement and they have to claw their way up. You know what I mean? Like, there was a little arrogance about this team. Just a little bit. I'm not, like, going crazy here. There was a little arrogance about the Nets um, prior to the Pistons game that was like, all right, we lost in New Orleans, but we shouldn't have lost. Let's count that in a win as a win in our heads. We give the Warriors a real game, you know, hey, we're awesome. Let's roll and go beat the Knicks who we talk about we should be beating. 
Then they get blown out by the Knicks. I love L-O-V-E, Brian. I love that they came out against the Pistons and, you know, they had bad runs in the game and good runs in the game, but the last, let's say, six minutes or whatever to the end of the game, the last six minutes in the fourth to all the way into the end of the game, they were scrapping like they were scrapping like a team that was trying to climb out of the basement. It was it was the inverse of the Pelicans game. I mean, I was like pretty pissed off that whole second and third quarter for the most part, thinking we were going to lose that game. Um, and then like we slapped together a win pretty pretty haphazardly, I would say. What um, what the the Nets did? I didn't think. I mean, they looked super flat and bad for like a huge portion of that game. They looked like they were what, almost the certainly going to lose. Game? Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And, yeah. But, like, there were moments, of course, I mean, like, the Dinwiddie moments are incredible. The fact, you know, it's like, you, you obviously, like, the most 50-50 proposition in terms of your perception of a moment is whether a shot goes in or not. And the fact that that Dinwiddie three-pointer went in, uh, it's like, we it goes, like, it's on every NBA Twitter feed of how great that shot is. Everyone retweets that video of him hitting that shot. But it's like, that is an insane shot. That's a ridiculous like step back in the worst point of the three-point line to shoot a three he shot a three what was it who was guarding him Blake Griffin like I think it was a I'm pretty sure it was a tall player guarding him at that point um yeah, it was yeah it was like the wor- that is the one of the worst shots one of the worst but yeah. he was feeling himself man so and I mean went in it's that's what you you do need that to win some basketball games that you shouldn't be winning we can parlay this into a conversation about this organization, you know, and 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 their foresight. I mean, uh, so so Dinwiddie, both Dinwiddie and Levert are having like insanely good seasons. Dinwiddie, probably more low key, having an insanely good season. He's shooting almost fifty percent from the floor, forty three percent from the three point line. That's up eleven percent from last year. Small sample size theater, I know, but <laughs> considering how like. How he it took him a while to get up to thirty two percent for like big stretches of last season. He was down to like twenty eight and stuff. Um, he's also like just becoming a pure scorer again. I think like last year we asked a lot from Spencer Dinwiddie. I mean, he was averaging almost seven assists, and now he's back down to what would probably be considered like his norm, like three to four. Um, so like he's he's falling into a natural position now that like seems to be really effective for him. Um, and I and it looks, it like passes the eye test that just nobody can stay in front of Spencer Dinwiddie at this point. And, he, yeah. and that's what the, I this has to be credited to Atkinson's staff. Like we can be critical of them, but like it does seem like several players on the team do add things each season. And like Levert has really added the hesitation, like drive hesitation game down low and score. Like he's perfected that. Credit goes to Karis Levert, credit goes to the coaching staff. Kenny Atkinson is the same situation with Spencer Dinwiddie. Like Dinwiddie's improved. There's no question. I mean, he's playing he's playing a different style of basketball than what he played last year. He was yeah. he still takes kind of ridiculous shots at times and he kind of feels himself a little bit too much, but I yeah. gu- I guess that's like the the level of confidence that we're going to have to ride with him. You know, it's just like yeah. You, I mean, that's sort of the position he's being asked to fill now is sort of a microwave offense off the bench, which is way more better suited for like than what he was doing last year and that's why i almost like so there's a lot of calls and i I do want to do this point guard power rankings today brian like there are calls to say dinwiddie's better than d'angelo should dinwiddie start over d'angelo and i almost am thinking like i mean you know i'm not getting rid of d'angelo at all and also i just like dinwiddie with the bench unit like i like 
that he has sort of full control of that unit and maybe like it's Alan Crabb out there, whoever, Ed Davis, whoever is out there at that moment with him on the floor, like Dinwiddie operates a little bit better when maybe there's less around him. You know, like he can do a little bit more of his unique stuff, getting yeah. to the hoop, controlling the ball a little bit more because you don't want a ball hog with the first unit because the first unit is if it's Joe Harris and Karis LeVert and people that are moving all over the floor, you want the ball moving around a little bit more. And it, to be honest, Dinwiddie's a more of a ball hog than D'Angelo at this yeah. point. Not even but, I'm not even saying it in a bad way. That's just how it goes. No, it's it's just a, and it's like I prefer it that way. Like who who do I want to be shooting the ball instead of? <laughs> do I, you think I want Alan Crabb with that oh, ball? No, Lord. I don't, oh, I don't want that. All right, we're not going to talk. We're not going to do an Alan Crabb conversation. Yeah, but also, it's so Levert, bad. But also, Levert's uh, like offense is a pure revelation right now. Who like. The the idea that he's become like a Loki like banger out of all this is is like amazing. He, he's deceptively strong and and like his offense right now is like get to the paint and just like body somebody until he like gets, squeezes in a layup. It's amazing to watch. You know what I always want? I want the like I want Adam Silver. There's a few things I want him to institute. One would be compensation picks for uh, free like teams that lose big free agents. I think that's like a really it's, I can't, I'm just coming up with this as an idea that I have. I thought mm-hmm. about it in the dog park today. If you lose a guy who, like, let's say, averages a top 5% salary in the NBA after his contract is signed, you should get a pick between the first and second rounds. I think that that's a new rule I want. The second rule I want is uh, re-measurements every year. I want these – because I think Karis LeVert is taller than what we believe. Like, I saw him (laughs) – I know, this is so weird. But I saw him – he was walking – so when Jared Allen hit those, like, few three free throws at the end of the game – and Levert came up to like remember that play? Jared Allen rolls around the the bucket, makes it, gets fouled, and goes to the line. I think it was overtime, or I'm pretty sure it was overtime, but it may have been near the end of the fourth quarter. Karis Levert said something to Jared Allen, and you could see that Karis Levert is almost Jared Allen's height, and like we definitively know that Jared Allen's at least six ten in shoes, probably six eleven. Is Karis Levert six nine? Brian. I want. I want. Why are Why are guys resized every year? Every year we should get new measurements. The greatest thing about the NBA draft is the draft. Well, when the Draft Express really existed, was the measurements, the wingspan. You know, size in shoes, size without shoes, hand size. Let's just do that every year. Let's because like it's famously like guys like uh, Bradley Beal grew three inches since being drafted. I'm sure Karis Levert has grown. I'm confident in that fact. And if he's okay. six nine. That's pretty nuts. That's just like a that's a strange thing to think about because this is a guy yeah. who's like a legit ball handler who goes to the hoop with like reckless abandon. We have to uh, adjust our comparisons up to like Paul George then in that case. That's what we're gonna have to start doing. But like better um, than Paul George. You know? Yeah, like better. <laughs> um, another so one place where to GNR's point, um, like rotation wise. I think still needs some ironing out. And this is, this goes back into like the bigger kind of conversation I wanted to have about the personnel stuff. Um, we talked about this in the preseason a little bit. Why is it that Ennis Cantor, Anus Cantor, whatever his name is, um, why is it that a player that's you know not super good goes off on us like this all the time? And why is this l- less of an issue for teams like the Golden State Warriors and the Houston Rockets? Obviously, they, are, they have a totally different kind of trajectory right now than we do. Um, but presumably we're playing a sort of similar style of game, and I had a, uh, a long, you know, you know, I was just a, a diatribe about how the difference is we don't do 
transition offense. We just don't do it. And maybe like the most damning piece of evidence about that is I went and looked at the NBA.com slash stats, advanced stats, Mike, because I'm getting I'm getting in the weeds with this. <laughs> and I saw D'Angelo Russell's points off of turnovers is 1.4 this season. Um, any of the other, like, even if you go to, like, you know, players that are kind of in his milieu statistically, like uh, Mike Connolly or Drew Holiday, they're going to be at least twice, mostly three times as much. And then if you get to the upper echelon, the elite players who are obviously scoring a lot more points than Janet Russell, so you can affect it that way. But even still, they're getting, like, five and six points. Westbrook, Chris Paul, Steph Curry, five and six points a game off of turnovers alone. Um we do not score off of turnovers. We don't have a fast break. And so we can't run DeAndre Drummond off the off the court. We can't run Ennis Cantor off the court. And we certainly can't run Anthony Davis off the court. So we just have to we, – we, we stutter step into a very uh, predictable sort of half-court set. And we let them get into position. And then we – you know, to our credit, we drive against these guys, like, despite everything. <laughs> and, like, get absolutely mauled by DeAndre – or Andre Drummond all night. Uh but like you know, that's that's a big difference in strategy from what we do and what a lot of those other teams do. That are like you know we're supposed to be doing similar things and we're just like really failing on that one very critical thing. All right, well that perfectly dovetails into a conversation I've been teasing all episode, Brian, which is the Nets point guard power rankings. For our power rankings purposes, Lavert is a point guard, even though he isn't really. But I'm going to put him as a point guard because he does handle the ball a ton. Okay. Um, this is something that is hotly debated all throughout Twitter. Nets Twitter, to be exact. Um, who is the best point guard for this team? Who's the best point guard right now for this team, Brian? Um, the Yeah, I know. Big, lot to unpack there. So I just want to frame this in a certain way. Well, one, there's four point guards that I'm accounting as point guards. Shabazz Napier, or Shabazz, uh, Karis LeVert, D'Angelo Russell, and Spencer Dinwiddie. This isn't... Um, you know, this isn't a discussion of like we need we do need D'Angelo Sark because we need to see what he's doing. We who right now is the best, most effective point guard for this team? Okay. Wow. So I mean, I have so many thoughts about this already. Well, let's start at the bottom. Okay. Who is your your number four? If you just the person, then you can disregard. So let me as ever throw a big wrench in the works of this whole <laughs> this whole thing. So for me, I see our current um like basically two line we have three lineups basically two kind of um you know the the first and second uh lineups are are like diametrically opposed to each other and there's a third lineup where they sort of like gradiate into one another. Um so the first string led by D'Angelo Russell is like so differently than the second string led by we'll say Spencer Dinwiddie but like then there's like the kind of the the border in between them is the Shabazz Napier like sort of third and first string it's a bit of a circle like it's a circular rotation right mm-hmm. um and I really like I mean like so this goes back into the Kenny Atkinson debates of whether he's good or not. I like on paper, I like how that looks. You know, you start with a pick and roll heavy one and five with D'Angelo Russell and and Jared Allen. Um and then as you sort of and like Levert sort of in there, like getting integrated, as you 
sub out D'Angelo Russell, who by all appearances doesn't have a ton of endurance, isn't a super great athlete and all that stuff. Um, you bring in Spencer Dinwiddie and that lineup entirely changes entirely um, into something different. So then you don't need Jared Allen to be rolling. You have Ed Davis who's there for putbacks instead. Um, and that works a lot better for a person who's like Spencer Dinwiddie, who's just looking to sort of shoot their own shot, get the ball close, if not in the basket, um, <laughs> so then everyone else can collapse in on the situation. So, same with Levert, too, and to like a totally different and lesser extent, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson does a lot of the same things. Um, so, like, I just want to say, in general, I like how the whole thing is positioned. Um, now, to your point about ranking, is D'Angelo Russell thriving in that position in the way that Spencer Dinwiddie is thriving at his position? No, he's not. He's doing maybe on a nightly basis, I would say net worse, but like sometimes he looks really good out there when he's shooting seven threes in a row or whatever the case. Um, So anyway, sorry, what was the question? I just had to like be annoying about that. Power rankings, worst to best point guard situation. So the worst is is (sighs) obviously D'Angelo Russell now. Um, really, you think that's the worst? No, no. I mean, it is. It is Shabazz. Shabazz. He. I mean, but like, it, it's I, such a difficult. It's not. A, it's such a hard question, Mike. Saying it's, he's it's, the worst. Who? Shabazz. Shabazz, because he's doing what he does well. Like, I like what I've seen from Shabazz Napier, like a lot. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. There's no worse situation. I mean, actually, like the Nets are in a really strong point guard situation. Um, like the fact that they even have Napier is such a luxury. A guy like who on a lot of teams would be the distinct backup. He was the mm-hmm. like distinct backup point guard on the Portland Trailblazers last year, a team that was what? Top 4 seed in the West or whatever they were. And but like he's the Nets essentially fourth ball handler in in most lineups. Like whatever mm-hmm. whatever mix they're going to throw in there. But I mean like but if we're going to go through this practice, he he is the person you'd rank at the bottom in terms of point guards. I'm not just saying, but like he's doing a good job, but he's at the bottom. I think he's like, there's no question, right? Yeah, I think you know. There's a uh, God. Who was it? This is this is going to be highfalutin. You're going to like to like point at this and 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 say that I'm being tryhard. Um, I think it's a William Burroughs thing about how to like be a critic of things. Oh gosh. Um, and it's good. I, th- I find that it's really applicable for a lot of things. But he uses it for for like books. Uh, but we can use it for books, basketball in this case. Books, which is <laughs> what matters huh? more: books or basketball? <laughs> Uh, basketball obviously books um which is one what is the author trying to do two is he succeeding in doing it and three should he have tried to do that thing at all yes and i think that's a good way of sort of like looking at like evaluating these types of players like what is shabazz napier trying to do is he succeeding in in doing it and should that be the thing he's trying to do and i think in all three of those cases like it's like checks yes in, in all in all in all cases so it's hard for me to sit here and say like shabazz napier's is doing the worst on the team. Like I, I, it's hard for me to say, like, he's been great. He's been great. So <laughs> who then would, so like, <laughs> who's doing the worst out of those four point guards, Brian? If uh, we're gonna, if the only one, it's hard to say this. And it's the only one with any like actual question marks about him is D'Angelo Russell. Wow. I love and, it, Brian. Like, explore so that. In, explore that. By, by just the, like, by this horrible, structure of this conversation <laughs> i would say i would say that it kind of has to be d'angelo russell because um there is a big gaping hole in his game and his inability to close out games effectively um and highlighted you know obviously preeminently by his his big gaffe in the pelicans game but this has been a thing 
that has dogged him for as long as he's been with the Nets, which is, you know, he has pretty egregious turnovers late in games that, you know, he's the same guy that'll like put you in overtime with a, you know, an insane three that has no business going in, but he'll also have like lost the 10 point lead that got you there and gave it to you. It's a D'Angelo giveth and taketh away, you know, in, in his own way. Well, um, and what's like tough about him at the end of the games, and I'm I'm not saying this is a permanent issue right now, but his game at this moment is more mid range than anything else. Like, he's not he's not the same guy he was last year before that injury. And I'm not saying the injury is like a lingering issue because he came back from it and he seems very healthy. It's like not it's not a health issue, but like before that injury last season, he was much more of an attack the basket type dude. Um, this year's not he's not like driving to the hole with the same uh, sort of level of intensity. Like what he looks yeah. for is, you know, sort of the screen and roll game, looking for Jared Allen on the roll, or he looks for like the twelve footer. Like he loves to take that sort of like pull up twelve footer off of a screen. Um, yeah, we're like Dinwiddie and Lavert are guys that are mostly just going to go to the hole. Dinwiddie takes more three pointers than. Lavert and Lavert does take some, but they both are like, we're going straight to the bucket. We're going to get to the bucket and we may miss, but like we're going all the way. We're getting within a foot of the rim where D'Angelo like doesn't, he doesn't do that as much. And that makes it harder at the end of games because at the end of games, when the lane is clogged more and you know, that mid range shot is not as falling as much. It's just not, it's just a harder shot to take at the end of the fourth quarter than it is you know, in the beginning of the first quarter. It's just a different – you're not going to get that shot as much. Um, so the the big thing that people kept saying that they wanted to see from D'Angelo Russell, and I, and I agree with this, like, wholeheartedly because D'Angelo is um, – you know, as as I've said in the in the past, and I always I always think about it. You know, I can't help it, but um, timing beats speed, and precision beats power. With with D'Angelo Russell, he's he's one of those. He's he's a probing, but ultimately plotting point guard. So he doesn't have the ability to just take his man off the dribble. They always are able to keep up with him. So that three point shot needs to be super improved. And you know, as of right now, he's taking and making more and at a better percentage than any uh, season previous, he's up to 42% from the three-point uh, line, whereas he was 32% last year. And that's, so that's a, a huge, big number. a huge leap. Yeah, that's yeah. 42%. Like, if you're a point Small guard, sample, again, but still. If you're a point guard, you're making 42% of your threes. That's super plus territory. Like, just, mm-hmm. you, you know, like, that makes that means you're better than Alan Crabb um, at shooting threes. Um, and Alan Crabb's the greatest shooter ever. But, you know, it's just like... That that's a great number, but like when you watch the games, it's one of those things again where, when you watch the games, it doesn't connect at the right times, right? Like he he makes threes, and I'm not disputing the fact. I mean, he's shooting 42, percent but they're not hitting at the moments when the Nets need them to hit, and there's still an awkwardness in his offensive game in relation to everyone else on the team, and I think it's it is because he's putting effort into fitting within the team concept that Atkinson has put out, but, like, still just awkward, still doesn't, like, he doesn't dominate really ever during games, maybe for a four-minute stretch, and he's got to be, the whole point of him is to be a guy that does dominate for four to six minutes at a time. I mean, the one thing you knew about him besides the Nick Young incident was that he had ice water in his veins, Brian, you know, that he was mm. that he was frosty. 
that he would, you know, hit big shots at the end of games and that he would point to mm-hmm. his veins and show you how great he was. And, like, that doesn't – I don't see that D'Angelo right now. That doesn't exist right now. And, like, you know, we t- I talked about this with Evan Roberts, and, you know, it's an obvious thing. Anyone can see it. Like, the most important question, more than even if a max free agent is going to come here, is the first question before you get to the max free agent part is that, like, is D'Angelo Russell going to be worth – Whatever amount of money he may be getting his way, and if are the Nets, should the Nets be paying whatever they're going to have to pay him? And right now, he's not playing at a level that like really just doesn't make that question that hard for the Nets. Like right now, he's just playing at a level that like they don't have to run to him with a contract and be like, please stay here. Right now, the situation is like, yeah, I'm sure they would keep him at a good number, but there's not a desperation factor. I mean, that, that could all change. It's like all this stuff is so fluid. It's so early. Like, Levert looked like the greatest player in the world for the first you know few games and then kind of tailed off a little bit, but he's back to where he needs to be. Um, mm-hmm. I did, let's talk about beyond power rankings. Dinwiddie, plus or minus from last year, he's, he's superior to last year. Do you think at this point, do you, is he already superior, or is it like do we need to see more? Totally. Well, and I think that, like, I mean, I for – for this exercise, we can include him, but he, like I was saying earlier, has has transitioned away from where he was last year as as like one of basically the pri- the starting point guard for a big portion of the year, um, which is just not a natural position for him. This th- where he is currently is like a way better version, and I can't really think of an apt comparison for a guy like him who has. Um, He's like at like like a really like clean polished offensive game, and his percentages are way up. Um, but he has this sort of reputation as a point guard playmaker that he's like moved away from, and I think that's also like really benefiting him too. Like I think it's it's he's hard to plan around, like plan for as a defender, um, because you're expecting him to be pass first, and he's like this year he's not pass first. Right? <laughs> is, is yeah, he's like I am I am going to dunk this on you. That's what my plan. That's plan A and B right now. Well, and, like, um, the games aren't similar, but, like, what Lonzo Ball actually does or what he did last year before LeBron got there was that, like, Lonzo moved the ball quickly. He wasn't, like, a guy who would dribble the ball into the paint, you know, like, and take a lot of time of possession. He would move the ball quickly. And I think the perception of, like, the most thing people knew about Dinwiddie outside of the Nets fan base, like, the NBA fan base was his assist-to-turnover ratio, right, that it was, like, 4-1. to one. And if you're 4-1 to one type dude – that typically means that you aren't uh, a guy who pounds the ball, uh, you know, you dribbles the ball a lot, who takes a lot of time of possession, because if you don't have the ball that much in your hands, you're not going to turn it over. Uh, he really is kind of, a again, a ball hog. I mean, that's like, but, you know, well, a, a nice his, ball hog. Th- that number is totally different this year. He's He's got like, it's like three assists and two turnovers. Like, his, his turnovers are, are like, you know, about the same, but his assists are uh, cut in half. So that ratio is gone, but, like, instead he's losing the ball. Instead of trying to pass the ball, it's just, like, it'll be a, you know, drib- you know dribbling into traffic kind of turnover. And and it's – it's he, he seems to always kind of be a, a guy who has confidence, so I'm not, like, this isn't a confidence issue with him. But it seems like this year he's, like, there's a, a certain uh, apprehension if you're a guy who – you know, is from G League up, G League down, you know, keeps moving around, doesn't have a firm spot in the league. There's an apprehension of, like, I can't turn over the ball because that's how I'm going to get sitting, that's how I'm going to get put on the bench. This year, 
uh, he's made the decision. He he see he feels firmly in his place within the rotation, right? So like we're getting mm-hmm. we're getting a more exciting Dinwiddie for sure, um, and a better offensive threat. Because like in the end, if you're a point guard who's afraid to turn over the ball, th- we're actually seeing this. Do, have you looked at Jared Allen's personal fouls per game? Have you seen that? No, no. It is shockingly low. Um, he's only like fouling like twice a game, which for a shot blocking center is like you could spin this one way. Like the positive is um, he's so smart and knows how to use his body so well that he doesn't need to foul. But what I really actually think it is is that he he thinks he can't foul. He thinks that he can't foul out of games. And he and he isn't aggressive enough with using his body, because at a certain point, like as a center, you do need to throw your weight around, and there's going to be times when you're going to have to foul dudes. Um, and last year, Dinwiddie was that, but with ball handling, like he was afraid to turn over the ball. Not afraid to, but he just didn't. He didn't turn over the ball. He he valued not turning over the ball. And then we got a Di- Spencer Dinwiddie who would only do assists. And really wasn't that dynamic offensively and was easier to guard. This year, we're getting a harder-to-guard, more turnover-prone Dinwiddie. But I'd rather have that one than the guy who just doesn't turn over the ball and is sort of just not running through the motions, but, you know, not being dynamic in any way. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's also, like, worth mentioning that um, his, like, first step or just, like, the... Um, way that he gets into that first step just seems really improved. Like, um, I don't know if that's a matter of, like, you know, working on, like, hey, I'm going to be, like, driving to the basket a lot more this season. Um, but, uh, like, if he gets a big man that that switches out on him, that's the only thing in his mind you can tell, um, which is different from last year, I, I feel like. Yeah, he was super effective at the end of this Detroit game, just, like, blowing by whatever big man was on him. And, again, not you didn't see that last year. As much as you're seeing it now. Um, right. All right, so point guard power rankings, you have D'Angelo Russell at the bottom. Got it. I, I kind of do. I mean, if, if we're saying, I mean, using my Burroughs metric, um, you know, is he, is he, is his concept of, of what he's doing, is it, so I, I would actually apply this to, like, the bigger issue. This goes back into the fast break thing. Like, I we really need a faster point guard if we're going to be, like, like I would like it if if he played a sort of like and in this this comparison keeps coming up and people are going to be triggered by it but like the James Harden role with a Chris Paul you know uh, next to him um, obviously those are two really really good players but um, like you know a playmaking two um, on a really fast and fast breaking team would fit this this whole um, team's deal a whole lot better wouldn't you say I don't know. What like next? You you want D'Angelo to push the pace more? Or you... I just think that he's not capable of pushing the pace. Yeah, he's not. and yeah. and that that's like a big part of our kind of strategy. It's like we we get the ball out to him. I think we either need to like on a fast break, like not be passing it to him first. Like look for Spencer <laughs> Dinwiddie, look for Lavert, and just like wait for D'Angelo to kind of be the trailer three on that play. Well, and it's like that. The the starting lineup is the most. You were talking about this before. It is the least fast break, uh, prone starting lineup, maybe in the league. I mean, the you have Jared Dudley, D'Angelo Russell, a center, a true center who does run, but still having a center, centers don't run it just, just by the pure ge- geometry of the 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 court. They are by the hoop, 
and they are bigger, and they don't run as fast as everyone else. Uh, so you have those three players on the court of five guys who aren't running, like, and Joe Harris, who I love Joe Harris, great cutter to the basket, but a speed demon he is not. Uh, <laughs> I mean, my the, the Jared Dudley, bless his, bless his heart, and we talked about, you know, we were singing his praises, but I think maybe Kenny Atkinson listened to that episode and was like, good, we'll play him for 40 minutes then and see how much you, <laughs> see how much you like him. Uh, because he logged 37 minutes against Detroit, and that did feel like a long time. Um, uh, but bless his, bless his sweet, ever-loving heart, Jared Dudley was trying to, like, streak down the lane for, you know, to be, like, the the rangy, you know, stretch four, like, cutter to the basket on a fast break, and he just could not handle any of those passes. Um I mean that because he just is ideally not that guy. if you're gonna if with that starting lineup you cannot you just can't run a fast break. Lavert's the only guy no. who's gonna get down the floor with any speed. No one. I mean Joe Harris is gonna go to the three point line. He does go to the basket, but he's gonna go to the three point line. D'Angelo hates running fast. Uh, just in life, he seems not to want to run fast. <laughs> Jared Allen can get he can get going, but it takes him a really long time. It's like a a race between. It's like a Boeing. You know, it takes a, a while to rev up. You know. So, and but like, and you know, on a positive note for Nets fans, if you didn't watch the Pistons game, which again was phenomenal and awesome and great, uh, Damari Carroll was getting up off the bench quite a lot, celebrating with the other teammates. Seemed spry, Brian. I think, I don't know. We have no sense of when he may come back, but <laughs> I, I judge injuries off of how quickly they get off the bench. Yeah, and he was yeah. popping up, popping up quickly. Yeah. That passes the eye test, a hundred percent. And he will—I mean, he's not like—he's not a, a you know a whirling dervish out there, but he will help a fast break more than Jared Dudley will. So he will help the team get easier I mean, buckets. We're, despite how young we are, we're a slow team. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's just it's it's weird to say, but like it's just a a, a half court team with an offense that should be able that should want to be able to push the pace in that way in in transition and uh and we don't have we don't have the people for it unfortunately mike um one final prediction before we go here and i appreciate you for joining the show as always i appreciate your time i appreciate your time um one prediction that i will make as we enter college basketball season which is happening right now is that there there was a strong sentiment in the nets fan base that they should not tank but as we see Zion Williamson and the rest of Duke, I think people are going to want to tank. Um, like, I was thinking in a world, like, as the Pistons game was going on and there's a shot that the Nets were going to lose and all that stuff, I was like, then you're entering the territory of, like, shoot, should we be tanking? And I think as college basketball season starts and you're just going to see these, like, awesome athletes that Duke has, people are going to be like, more okay with that idea. Like just getting a whiff of Zion is going to make you feel okay about it. So, that's my that's my prediction as we enter college basketball season. It is nice to have a pickle, you know. At least at least we can have that conversation, Mike. Uh, we don't have to do the same conversation we've had here, which is like, what are you going to do? You know, what are you going to do? Um, thank you all for listening. Uh, we'll be back at your ears as soon as possible. A continued wow. exciting slate for the Nets. As they play the team that Brian had mentioned, uh, the Houston Rockets. Um, find us on netsdaily.com, at BK Glue Guys on Twitter, Almighty Baller. Brian! Mike, thanks for having me. Really appreciate your time. Hey, thank you. Okay, take care, everybody. Bye bye. Yeah, boy! Yeah.